Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hello, everyone. This is not Mary Shirley or Lisa Fine. This is Tom Fox. And I'm here for a very special episode of Great Women in Compliance because I get the privilege of interviewing Lisa Fine. Lisa is the Director of Compliance of the Americas at Pearson. And I asked Lisa if she would talk to us about whistleblowers in the corporate setting. They've been in, uh, obviously, in the news quite a bit lately. We're not going to touch upon that. We're going to talk about people uh, in a company who are trying to do the right thing, the courage it takes, how you as a compliance officer need to foster that culture of trust and respect throughout the whistleblower process. So, Lisa, first of all, what a, what a great privilege and pleasure to be able to interview you for a change. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. It's a little bit different being on this side of it because usually I have my outline and I get the chance to ask other people questions. But I was really flattered when you asked to to talk about this and to talk about it with me. So to our listeners, thanks for humoring this. It's something I really care a lot about. And uh, so, Lisa, if we could just start with uh, something that I think you and I are pretty passionate about, which is developing a culture of trust in a company and how that is really the, the foundation of any reporting system, whether you use the term whistleblower or other, and how the compliance professional, the compliance practitioner needs to help foster that culture and what it really takes for someone to, to raise their hand or to step up or, or make a report. Well, thanks, Tom. I, I, I absolutely agree. First of all, I do think you know, with the news lately, politics aside, the courage it takes for a day-to-day whistleblower, or and I don't actually love that term, I, I like reporter, because it really is somebody reporting an issue or reporting wrongdoing. And the courage it takes to go out there, and especially if it's someone senior to you or to bring up something wrong in a corporation, is much larger than I think people realize. And the consequences, even when someone is protected, can be large. And what I think is you really have to start from the beginning by letting them feel comfortable with the system of reporting and also being, as an investigator or somebody involved in it, real, very candid about what you're doing, what the expectations can be, what somebody may need to know as a process and kind of outline it from the beginning to the end and also be very sensitive to what I just talked about because when it's a good faith, serious issue complaint that you know, there's going to be a lot going on and a lot of emotions, not just from the person who's making raising the issue, but those who may be implicated. Lisa, one of the things that uh, I've certainly come to understand that reporting is an entire process. It is not simply having a hotline. It's not simply uh, picking up the phone when someone calls. It is an entire process. It begins far be- before someone raises their hand or uh, reports. But once it gets to you as the compliance officer, what do you see your role? Well, I see the role, first of all, to look at the the report with, with open eyes and, you know, assess what is being said, what the concerns are, and how to best look into it and investigate it. When I say investigate it, that doesn't mean immediately go out and ask everybody what they think happened that may have some knowledge of this, but to really think strategically let me assess the credibility and the concerns that are in here. And as a reporting process, how you may handle that may be different depending on what country you're in, how something is culturally and 
you know, best practice investigatively handled in the U.S. is very different than India or Europe or somewhere else. So you really have to look at that um, from the beginning and, and come up with your plan accordingly. I will say, though, Tom, I'm going to say one thing about before it even comes to that reporting process is to make people feel comfortable or as comfortable as possible with what the reporting situation is at the company, whether it's an investigation protocol, whether you have, I I think one thing that I, I really like when leaders do is say, look, if you have a concern, please raise it. Even if you have a concern about me, you have a hotline or a helpline. So I think it is a really large process, but as a compliance officer, once it gets to you, to really try to look at it with the open eyes and start assessing it and doing some you know, good investigative research. So once you have made that initial assessment, you've assessed this may be a serious matter. Uh, how do you, as the compliance officer, uh, make the, the decision or rather the steps to investigate? Could you walk us through that? And of course, since I am a lawyer, there's always the it depends Um, But I do very often, I will look at the situation, and if it does not implicate somebody related to the legal team or someone else, I will often consult with our in-house counsel for a couple of reasons. Uh, One is because there may or may not in some countries be privilege you may want to attach, but secondarily, there are situations where somebody may have already gone to the legal team or someone may be talking uh, or investigating, looking at something from their side. You want to make sure that you're, you know, working through things in an efficient way and making sure you're on the same page. Now, if it's something there, are, there are some situations where you may not be able to go to the legal team, and that's always a struggle as a compliance officer. Um, but in those situations, I think when you can work with somebody who you trust and that's co- you know can keep it confidential and help you assess, mostly because we all do have our biases, whether subconscious or not. Um, and once you do that, you realize the seriousness, You, I, I look through to see how can I investigate certain things and keep the fewest people in the loop initially, other than someone that's trusted. So if you can get records that you may have to look at, if it has something to do with you know, a fraud or something else, like how, how can I get the relevant records or information without you know, raising any other red flags? Um, I mean, that's just one example. Um you know, if it's something that might be related to a harassment or another type of issue that would be a little outside of it, you know, who can I talk to to get a sense of what's going on generally, the pulse in part of a group? Um, and also at some points in time, I may look at something and think, even though I'm the compliance officer, if it's in another country or a lot in another language, I may ask somebody else from the team who will be better suited to work on some of the issues um, to do that. And then I guess one other t- situation is, if you need to bring in an outside counsel or unrelated person to help investigate, it really does depend on the seriousness and the issue. But I do think one other point I'd like to raise is that if you do know who the person is or the reporter and you've assessed it, it's no longer anonymous, helping to kind of work through the situation with that individual and manage expectations. So there's a bunch of different things I think about. Uh, I know a little bit about your professional background, and you've worked for a European-based company. Uh, if a whistleblower or a report, rather, came out of Europe, would you also seek Data Privacy Council's views on uh, particular uh, topics? I would first use, if I could, the data privacy expert that you know we would have in-house, at least at, at both of my companies, my current company as well, to make sure that we're following all of the appropriate rules and regulations for the data concerns. Absolutely. I think it's very, very important. 
I think they also vary depending a little bit on the whistleblower protections. I mean, in, in Europe, you may have a lot more ability to look at certain uh, financial data or other data versus emails and other things. But I think it is critically important to work through your jurisdiction at it initially. Uh, your last point that you made about managing expectations, one of the most powerful stories uh, I ever saw personally was at an early Compliance Week conference I went to. It was an export control session, and I was being a good little student sitting up on the front row, and the person next to me uh, raised his hand and directed a question at the Department of Commerce representative, and it said, essentially, you may not remember me, but six years ago, I made a whistleblower report to you. And I've heard nothing in those six years. You want to explain yourself? And so the guy was, the uh, treasury person was, or commerce person was flummoxed. He apologized profusely. He said, well, it's an ongoing investigation, blah, 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 blah. And what I learned from that is exactly what you said, manage expectations. How do you communicate with a reporter to help manage those expectations during the process? Well, I think one of the important things to do is at the outset, there are a couple of things to explain to somebody or talk through. First of all, that sometimes these things take longer than they will expect. We will come back to them. There are times that I may be saying to the person, the individual, um, we're still investigating we have some additional questions, or we may not be able to talk to them about certain parts of this. Um, and the reason is, just as we take this individual, the whistleblower or the, the, the reporter, we take their confidentiality very seriously. We want to do the same thing for other people who may provide us information, and that we want to treat everybody in the process with respect, just as they want themselves to be treated and others. And there will be situations that at the end, you know, and I'll say this through, periodically throughout, there are situations that at the end may be resolved and they may not know it for sure. And we may may tell them that, you know, tell them that the situation has been investigated and handled and that somebody may not like the answer to that. But with that said, that doesn't mean that something hasn't been done. And that doesn't mean that we won't talk to the extent possible. But we take and we and meet. I take the process very, very seriously and want to treat all individuals with respect, including those implicated or involved. And sometimes I'll say when it's gotten emotional and and people don't always love this answer, but we're treating you the same way you'd want any family member of yours to be treated or friend or someone that you're close to who'd be involved in something. And oftentimes people relate to that a little bit because I think everybody knows somebody who may have made a mistake and they would want them to be treated with respect. That doesn't mean that someone's always happy with that. Some people who make reports think somehow they're part of the investigative team, but at least letting them know that they've been heard, they've been listened to, and that we're working through issues. Lisa, what you've described, I write about often in the context of the fair process doctrine. And the fair process doctrine says that if your process is fair, people will much are much more likely to accept a result they did either not expect or not particularly want because the process is fair. And it seemed like to me you have emphasized the fairness of your process the communication throughout the process, the setting of expectations, uh, early on saying, uh, frankly, that the answer may not be uh, what you're exactly looking for, but that fairness throughout really helps uh, 
whatever the uh, the resolution is at the end. Would that be a fair assessment? That is a fair assessment. It, and it, it's not easy. I, I would hate to, for people to think that you when one goes through that process, particularly in situations where story, stories and situations are very sympathetic and people are talking about things that it's taken them, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of courage to talk about or raise. And you're not, you know, part of when you're an ethics and compliance professional, you're trying to do the right things and be ethical and also help people. And part of the natural inclination is sometimes to want to share or to do that. So I wouldn't say it's an easy part of what we do, but I think it's really important. Um, those are the things that I take home at night. Lisa, what do you do if the report and your investigation turn up something that you think is more serious or could rise to the level of either uh, uh, a violation of some regulation or perhaps civil liability uh, for the company. Do you take that to in-house counsel? Do you refer that to outside counsel? Do you send it up the chain? And if so, what's that process? I mean, I also am very fortunate to have a, a, a boss and a chief a head of compliance who I would be talking and escalating to before it got to that point. Um, we would raise it probably first within to either uh, our chief legal officer or um, our chief audit risk and compliance officer, depending on what, you know, the situation is. Um, Again, I wouldn't necessarily know before that if this was an issue that maybe internal audit was already looking into or serious or that was more raised. But my view is unless it implicates one of those individuals um, or something that would cause more issues for them, I I will raise it through the appropriate channels uh, there. Um, that's 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 my view on it. You know, it's interesting. One of the first corporate lessons my first boss told me, he says, you can tell me anything. I just don't want to be surprised. Uh, good, bad or indifferent. Uh, but what also seems what you just described is managing expectations, but managing them up. And so keeping the boss or bosses or those you report to informed. And even if it turns out to be something that is more serious than you originally anticipated, uh, you've set the expectation that I'm looking at this. I'm going to bring you what I find, uh, no matter what it is. And also, I've again, I've only been in my role for about six months right now. So I really, and I will say this to anyone starting any job, I don't know what I don't know. So very possibly, as I find out something more serious, there may be something that's going on. Or this may have already been investigated. And on the flip side, I don't know necessarily if this is somebody who had who, you know, thought about an issue six years ago and has been raising it periodically ever since. And not that that doesn't mean there's something legitimate, but that it's already been handled. You also want to be practical on that. So do you uh, advocate uh, uh, report in writing to close out a file or how do you try to, to have closure, not simply for the reporter, but also for your obligation to uh, close out uh, a matter so that if a regulator comes knocking, you can show not only have you thoroughly investigated, but you've closed out and recommended remediation and followed up if appropriate. I mean, I absolutely think some sort of um, some sort of written documentation is good. That's very factual. That's not your opinions on certain things and what, like you said, what remediation to some detail. How and what you say, my second time getting a little lawyerly, is the, you know, it depends on exactly what it is. And it's most important, especially with the DOJ guidelines, to show that if you've had an investigation, that you have done something and you've responded to it. What you, again, don't need to always do is provide, you know, every single thing that happened on any given day in the investigation, but to make sure you've got the salient points and to make sure you've got your documentation in case you're you're ever asked for it in the future. So I 
I like it in some sort of executive summary with certain facts um, that show that you did the work and you did that, but without getting into something where, you know, someone who may need to read that also knows who, you know, some of the witnesses are who may have wanted to stay confidential. I mean, there, you know, there's that. I mean, so that's kind of where I come out on that one. Lisa, one of the um, ongoing, if not debates, questions I've seen raised more this year in conferences is, what public report or internal report inside an organization, if any, should you make if someone is disciplined? The Department of Justice, of course, wants that publicized. They want uh, evil bad doers punished, but they want that to be known. Uh, on the other side, uh, if I could put on my legal hat, you certainly don't want to expose the company to any potential liability. And if someone resigns quietly and leaves the company, that may be uh, deemed a, an appropriate result. Do you have any thoughts one way or the other on that? I think it's very tough. Just as I have opinions about the idea of incentivizing certain, um, you know, good, you know, good acts that if you do something, you should be getting a reward. I think realizing wrongdoing is something that we should all be trying to do um, and not congratulated. We should not be doing the flip side. But with that said, I think, I think in some situations it is good to recognize what the wrongdoing was and that the company took action. Uh, but I think there are a lot of situations where there are problems that not just announcing every time something has happened like that, that, that sort, sort of dilutes it. I mean, I, I keep saying and it depends, but I think the most important thing in any situation is to really look at the facts provided and the term, you know, if there is a termination, there are some times where you're just going to have to go out there and say it was what happened because that's the best thing to do. There are other times where there's a lot of debate about what may or may not have happened um, and people blaming one another, and you, you want to solve the problem. I think it's a difficult thing to talk about in a vacuum, and I think that's what makes the job as an investigator and also as a leader dealing with investigations so difficult. Lisa, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but this has just been a fascinating uh, exploration of, I think many people have written investigative protocol or they've seen one, but you really fleshed it out on what it means to, to uh, create a culture which uh, lets people speak up uh, report, uh, how you work through that, and then how you as a compliance officer deal with uh, the facts that are presented to you, what you create, who you inform, how you manage expectations up and down. So I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit with me and letting me interview you for Great Women in Compliance. Well, I wanted to say thank you for having us as part of your podcast network, being one of the great men who support us. So we're going to have all of that uh, to end this. And I appreciate getting the chance to talk about something like this because I, I really do care a lot about it. And I appreciate you, you know, being willing to take the time to do this as well. So thank you. So where can p people find Great Women in Compliance? Great Women in Compliance is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. It is also, we have a website on Corporate Compliance Insights and it comes in your FCPA report. And if you're following Tom Fox, as you well should be, you can find it there too. Did I miss any of the places? What about LinkedIn? Oh, well, well, LinkedIn, I, we advertise every week. So that's whatever. We have our LinkedIn podcast community, and you're welcome to join that. So thank you for being my PR guy as well as a great interview. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.